Hey, Haley. Yeah. You know what I do when I need a mental break from some really tough true crime stories that we've talked about and researched? What? I'm really into playing this mobile game right now called Best Fiends. It's this really great casual puzzle game and it engages your brain as you play. So not only are you having a little bit of fun and not being super bored, but you're also doing something for yourself. You feel like you're accomplishing something. Mm -hmm. And it's super easy. I've only been playing for about a week and I'm over 100 levels deep and I can't stop, won't stop. I can't get enough. Yeah, same. It's really great because I travel a lot on buses and planes and subways and you don't need internet access to play. So it works perfectly for me. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Best Fiends. Okay, bye. Bye. Are you ready to get depressed? Oh, yeah. Also, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I, like I, feel I just like, saw you or something. I know. We pre-recorded last week's episode so we could see each other. And this is this is our first episode that we're actually recording in the new year. And it's very strange to me. Yes. And our, our visit together was glorious. It was. Oh, my God. Fun times all around. So, so fun. So beautiful. I love us. But yeah, um, to jump right into it, new year, new episode. And so we've got Marvin Gaye, Mm. a.k.a. the Prince of Motown and the Prince of Soul. All right. Um, And we will just jump right into it. Go for it. So Marvin Gaye was born Marvin Pence Gaye Jr. and... His last name was spelled G-A-Y with no E, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. On April 2nd, 1939 in Washington, D.C., his parents, Alberta and Marvin Gay Sr., um, were, his mom was a domestic helper and his dad was a minister. And Mm -hmm. he was the eldest of all, uh, the second eldest of the gay siblings. And he had two sisters, Jean and Ziola. And three brothers, Frankie, Antoine, and Michael Cooper. Uh, Michael Cooper was his mother's son from a previous relationship, and Antoine was his father's son as a result of one of his many extramarital affairs. Oh. Yeah. His dad, spoiler alert, not a great dude. Not a great guy. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, If you don't know the story, you'll know. Um, Not a great guy overall. No. Um, But so the family lived in the Southwest waterfront neighborhood of Washington, D.C., which was primarily a slum, despite it being it was a it was a historic neighborhood. It had some of the largest houses, all of that stuff. But it was kind of converted into um, like the 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 houses that were not houses, like the buildings that were apartment buildings and everything. Uh They were really small. They were really cramped. Um, They were in all of the buildings in general were in extensive disrepair. Um, many lacked both electricity and running water. Mm-hmm. The alleys were filled with one and two story shacks 
and nearly every home was overcrowded because these buildings and these apartments were so small. And so Gay and his friends nicknamed the area Simple City due to it being, quote, half city, half country. Mm. And during his childhood, um, his dad, as I said, he was a minister in the Apostolic Church, which was where his family went. They were Pentecostal. And Marvin started singing in church when he was four years old, during which his father would often accompany him on piano. Mm -hmm. And the church actually influenced his early years and played a formative role in his musical career, particularly from the 70s on when his songwriting shifted back and forth between mainstream and religious topics. Mm -hmm. So Gay developed a love of singing at an early age. And I keep switching back and forth. I think I'm just going to call him Marvin because his dad is also Marvin. And we'll get into it. He's got a son named Marvin. Like oh. It's too many gays. Too many okay. gays. All That's right. going to be taken out of context. And then the next thing is going to be crime culture. Homophobic. Too um, many gays. It, it, there's never <laughs> too many gays. Um, except in this particular episode where we're talking about three generations of Marvin Gay. Yes. So he developed a love of singing at an early age um, and was encouraged to pursue a professional music career after a performance in a school play at the age of 11, singing Mario Lanza's Be My Love. However, Marvin's relationship with his dad was a difficult one. Mm -hmm. Um, His home life consisted of what were called, quote, brutal whippings by his dad. Um, And he basically would beat him for any shortcoming, any mistake, anything that he did that was wrong in his father's eyes oh geez yes um and ironically marvin senior was also a known cross-dresser in the neighborhood which made the younger marvin a target of bullies oh all right so marvin described his father's house as being similar to living in his father's house as being similar to quote Living with a king, a very peculiar, changeable, cruel, and all-powerful king, end quote. He felt that- not really how you want to describe your parents. Oh, God, no. Absolutely (laughs) not. Yeah, that's not- that doesn't sound like a great relationship going on. Well, no, he had no great relationship with his dad, but he did feel that his mom not only would console him when his father would be so abusive, but she also encouraged his singing- and if not for these two things, Marvin believed that he would have killed himself. Yeah. Um, and his sister later explained that Marvin was beaten often from age seven well into his teenage years. Mm. And it was during his teenage years that Marvin's father would also kick him out of the house often. And so in 1956, Marvin dropped out of high school at the age of 17 and enlisted in the United States Air Force as a basic airman. Mm -hmm. However, after finding that he hated it and was bored with the menial tasks he was assigned to do, he faked mental illness and Uh was issued a general discharge from the service shortly after. (laughs) It's just going to be a troublesome episode, isn't it? It is. It is. It's going to be so... Just, it's going to be a lot of problems. The phrase faked mental illness. No, he did. He, like, pretended. That's not, like saying that mental illness isn't real he actually pretended to no. be mentally ill so he'd get out no I, I i understand that but hearing that said made me feel like i was chewing on tinfoil <laughs> <laughs> like you know that feeling that you're just like oh yep. god yep yep i do no i know it's not it's not great no it sucks yep it does suck all right then but yeah so marvin also left his father's church choir 
1957, he joined the Marquis, who recorded for chess under the guidance of Bo, Rid- Bo Diddley. Excuse me. I don't know why I almost said Bo Radley, like Boo Radley. And I'm like, no, that's not it. <laughs> no, that's not it. That's definitely Wrong not stuff. it. Wrong stuff. Wrong um, stuff. So Marvin's father would basically never approve of his son's career in music. He w- was, according to the lead Marvin Gaye biographer, Stephen Turner, um, Marvin's relationship with his dad made him who he was. He needed to be successful, find love, and then take drugs. We're all down to it. Mm. Um, no matter what he achieved with his songs, all he got was resentment and criticism, end quote. Yeah. So the following year, the Marquis were taken under the wing of producer and singer Harvey Fuqua, who utilized them to reform his doo-wop outfit, The Moon Glows. When Harvey moved to Detroit in 1960, Marvin went with him, and Harvey soon joined forces with Barry Gordy at Motown Records, and Marvin became a session drummer and vocalist for the label. Mm. Which is where we come to know the John Mulaney joke, where do I sign, Mr. Barry Gordy? Oh, yeah. Um, So then in 1961, Marvin married Barry Gordy's sister, Anna, and was also offered a solo recording contract. And it was also at about this time that Marvin added the E to his last name. Um, Remember I mentioned that earlier? Yeah. Because the word gay was taking on newer meanings to do with homosexuality. And gay was concerned, Marvin was concerned about his reputation from that. And also the word gay being connected to his father's flamboyant cross-dressing. So it was a homophobic move. It was, yes, it was a homophobic slash self-preservation move because I the way I saw it, at first I saw it as homophobic too, but also let's not forget he was massively bullied for his father's behavior when he was a kid. Yeah, I mean, that's fucked up in itself, but like the fact that he was getting beat at home and then also getting beat by like the kids. Friends. Yeah, there was no safe yeah. place to go. I yeah. would not call them friends. I would not call them well, school yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so not, not great, not right, but at the same time, I can understand it without approving of it. Um, he then began his career as a jazz singer, and then in 1962, he was persuaded to record an R&B album, and notched up his first single with the confident Stubborn Kind of Fellow, which went on to be a top R&B hit. And this record would establish his style for the next three years as Marvin enjoyed hits with a series of energetic dance songs that cast him as a smooth soul figure. Mm. He also continued to work behind the scenes at Motown and co-wrote Martha and the Vandellas hit Dancing in the Street. And Love it. Yep. And he played drums on several early recordings by Stevie Wonder. Ooh. Yeah. So then, I know, me neither. Oh, there will be a lot of I don't know that's. Trust me. (laughs) Um, So then in 1965, Marvin moved into a more sophisticated style of soul music. And to epitomize this new direction, that would be his song, How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. Mm -hmm. And that was followed by two other successful R&B number one hits, I'll Be Doggone and Ain't That Peculiar. Mm-hmm. And these hits cemented his status as Motown's best-selling male vocalist, which in turn allowed him basically free reign to pursue different avenues on his albums. Mm-hmm. And this included a tribute to the late Nat King Cole, um, because again, he started out as a jazz singer. He wanted to be at one point the next Nat King Cole. He loved Nat King Cole. Yeah. And also a collection of Broadway standards. Ooh. 
Yes. So then in November 1966, Barry Gordy's other sister, 17-year-old Denise Gordy, gave birth to a son with then 27-year-old Marvin. Oh. Um, yeah, and I... Oop. The Oops. child who was named Marvin Gay III, after his father and his paternal grandfather, was later adopted by Anna Gordy Gay as her son. Um, so to capitalize on his image as a ladies' man, because this has to get worse, yeah. Motown teamed Marvin with their leading female vocalist, Mary Wells, for some romantic duets. So they were like, hmm, and let's not forget, who's running Motown? Barry Gordy. Who fucked yeah. both of his sisters? Marvin Gay. Yep. Who also, cheated on one sister to impregnate the underage other sister? Marvin Gaye. I also find it troublesome that, like, he had such a bad relationship with his father, but he named his son after his father? That, and also, <laughs> like, he had... weird, He right? saw how terrible his dad was and went on to have an extramarital affair just like his dad. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So then when Wells left Motown in 1964, Marvin recorded with Kim Weston until 1967 and then with Tammy Terrell. So the Marvin-Tammy partnership represented the peak of their of like soul duet in general uh-huh. because their voices blended together on a string of hits that were written specifically for them by acclaimed songwriting duo Nicholas Ashford and Valerie Simpson. Mm-hmm. basically they were a dream team yeah they just sounded great together it was it was music to everyone's ears pun not intended it was sexy it was captivating people were loving these duets mm-hmm. and all of that came to an end when unfortunately tammy developed a brain tumor in 1968 and ultimately collapsed on stage in marvin's arms oh geez yes so records continued to be issued under the duo's name, although Valerie Simpson allegedly took Tammy's place on some of the recordings. Uh-huh. And through the mid-60s, Marvin allowed his duet recordings to take precedence over his solo work. But in 1968, he issued a little song called I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Oh, wow. Yes, which was originally released on Motown by Gladys Knight and the Pips, although mm-hmm. Marvin's version had actually been recorded first. Oh, um, Interesting. Yes, so it became the label's biggest-selling record at that point and is one of Marvin's best-known songs to date. Mm-hmm. And he followed up with another number one R&B hit, Too Busy Thinking About My Baby. But mm-hmm. then in March 1970, Tammy died of her brain tumor, which devastated Marvin. She was one of his closest friends. And so he spent most of 1970 in seclusion as a result. Mm, okay. The following year, he emerged with a new set of recordings that Motown at first refused to release, but which eventually formed his most creative solo album. And Marvin created a new musical style that influenced a generation of black performers, one of which was Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. But on a heavily percussive bass, Marvin's arrangements mingled varying influences into his roots creating an instrumental backdrop for his sensual, almost pleading vocals. Like if you think about it, like, if you if you th- listen to him in your in your head, it makes sense that it's like, yeah. oh, like it is. He's like begging. Yes. So on the number one hit, What's Going On in 1971 and its two chart topping follow ups, Mercy, Mercy, Me, The Ecology 
and inner city blues, Marvin combined his spiritual beliefs with his increasing concern about poverty, discrimination, and political corruption in American society. So obviously he was clearly influenced by his childhood. Yeah. Growing up in an impoverished area, growing up in a church, heavily involved in the church, like it made sense that this was an influence and we touched on it earlier. Mm -hmm. However, Marvin's next project saw him shifting his attention from political to what he's probably best known for, which is sexual, Mm -hmm. um, with probably one of his other best known songs, Let's Get It On. Yeah. And its explicit sexuality marked a major change in Marvin's career as he began to use cocaine more and more regularly. He became obsessed with his personal life and he rarely let the outside world get a look inside his work and inside his personal life. Okay. So with a lot of fame comes for him a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, he continued to let Motown market him in a traditional fashion by agreeing to collaborate with Diana Ross on a sensuous album of duets in 1973, although the two singers allegedly did not actually meet during the recording of the project, um, mm-hmm. which I found interesting because if you listen to the album, if you listen to any duet they've done, the, it, y- you would not be able to believe that they were able to fake all of that chemistry. Yeah. Um, but that's just a testament to how both of them, how good they both were. And Diana actually eventually became a close friend of Marvin's. Mm-hmm. That same year, Marvin and Anna separated. And when she filed for divorce in 1975, Marvin's heartbreak led to delayed work on his less, on his next album. Um, however, he later married Janice Hunter in October 1977, the same year his divorce from Anna was finalized. And drug Mm -hmm. problems and tax demands further interrupted his career. And in 1978, he fled the U.S. mainland to Hawaii in a vain attempt to salvage his second marriage to Janice. Mm -hmm. Um, He had two children with her, Nona and Frankie. And he later said that he once tried to commit suicide after his breakup with Janice by ingesting more than an ounce of pure cocaine while in Hawaii. Jeez. Yes. Um. So he was just really not doing great, not in a good not place. Not in a great place, yeah. Nope. Um, he devoted the night. If you, if you hear any bells from now until ever, I'm trying to Santa. remove them from their collars. Yeah, it's Santa. <laughs> it's definitely Santa. It's not Satan. Um, the cats have new collars, and this is why I normally get them dog collars, but no, they now have cat collars with bells that keep me up in the middle of the night, and I just kind of want to ring their cute little necks and it's fine (laughs) um but yeah so the next year marvin devoted his time to the ironically titled here my dear double album which was a bitter commentary on his relationship with his first wife and he had also been ordered to give all royalties from the project to anna as part of their divorce settlement Ooh, yeah so double bitter double ironic yeah and Anna ended up receiving $600,000 in royalties, and this resulted in Marvin, Marvin having to file for bankruptcy, and he encountered tax difficulties as a result. Wow. Yes. So then in 1980, under increasing pressure from the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, Marvin moved to Europe, where he began to work on an ambitious concept album in, called In My Lifetime, And when it came out in 1980, Marvin accused Motown of remixing and editing the album without his consent. Mm. Um, 
that they removed a vital question mark from the title of the album, which, okay. Sure. Um, I guess it makes all the difference. Yes. And he also accused them of changing the original cover artwork he had for it. Oh. So the relationship between Marvin and Motown was pretty much shattered. And in 1981, while Marvin was on tour in Europe, CBS Records, which is now Columbia, tracked him down and bought his Motown contract for a reported $2 million. Mm. Marvin immediately began recording his next album in Belgium, while legal advisors at home made arrangements to clear up his debt in the United States. And for a time, he actually achieved sobriety during this stay in Belgium. Mm -hmm. Um, However, when he embarked on his final sexual healing tour in April of that year, uh, Marvin, who had like a huge dislike for touring, he did not like it. Can you hear my cats yelling? I heard a little bit and I loved yep. it. Yep. Okay. Just making sure. Because um, <laughs> I hate to not acknowledge it if that's the case, because then people think I'm hurting them. Um, so he did not like touring. So he went to, went back to Coke to cope. Um, mm-hmm. And halfway through the tour, he actually developed paranoia over the alleged attempts on his life and would wear a bulletproof vest up until he was on stage, like all the wow. time. Yes. So yeah, in reality, paranoia. yeah, that's paranoia. And it's also a little bit of irony, which we'll get to later. Um, but there wasn't really any danger, although while on the tour, road crew member Eric Sharp died by suicide by hanging himself from a shower curtain rod in New Jersey while on the tour. Oh, Jesus. Yes. So frequent reports of Marvin's erratic personal conduct and reliance on cocaine fueled pessimism about his future career. But instead, he reemerged in 1982 with with the single Sexual Healing, which combined his passionate soul vocals with a contemporary slow dance backing. And the subsequent album Midnight Love offered no equal surprises, but the success of the singles, which in- single, which included two Grammy Awards for the singer, seemed to signal a new era in Marvin's music. It's a great song. It's a great song. Um, when I get that feeling. Well, that's I- sexual healing. Yeah. Um, so then when the tour ended in August 1983, Gay returned home to the U.S. to his mother um, she was recu- she was recovering from kidney surgery at home. Um, this was also the home that he purchased for his parents in the West Adams district of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So he stayed there and helped his mother get nursed back to health while his dad was out of town. Mm-hmm. And that October, his father returned from a business trip in Washington, during which he purchased insurance on his family's previous residence. And initially, Marvin's sisters, Jean and Ziola, lived in the house before... Marvin Sr. returned to the house in L.A., but they left shortly afterwards, like after he came home, because of the growing conflict between the two of them, Marvin and his dad. Yeah, yeah. So for the next six months, the two men really struggled to keep their distance from one another. Uh, Marvin's abrupt shifts of mood brought him into heated conflict with his father, and this combined with Marvin's father's continued disapproval of his son's music career and his resentment that his son was closer to his mother and had become the breadwinner for the family basically rekindled the animosity that had been there since Marvin's childhood. And it was like they were right back to where they were when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, except this time, Marvin Jr. could fight back. Yeah. So during one argument at the house, Marvin Sr. called the police to have his son removed from the property. 
Um, after staying with one of his sisters, however, Marvin returned to the property, telling a friend of his, quote, After all, I have just one father. I want to make peace with him, end quote. Ooh. Yep. Jane later told David Ritz that her father had told her if Marvin ever touched him, he'd, quote, kill him. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. And the ouches keep coming. Yeah. So on Christmas Day, 1983, Marvin gave his father a Smith & Weston .38 special pistol so that he could protect himself from intruders. Don't know why you would do this, but okay. So yeah. friends and family members contended that the younger Marvin was often suicidal and paranoid and by now was afraid of even just leaving his room. Mm-hmm. And he spoke of little besides suicide and death. There were times where Marvin would wear three overcoats at once and would also put his shoes on the wrong feet. Mm-hmm. So clearly not mentally well at this point. Yeah. Um, In addition, the intensity of Marvin's cocaine addiction made it impossible for him to work on another album. And because of that, he fell into a prolonged state of depression. Mm. So he repeatedly announced his wish to commit suicide in the early weeks of 1984. And four days before his murder, according to his sister, Jean, Marvin had tried to kill himself by jumping out of a speeding sports car, but sustained only minor bruises. (sighs) Yeah. Jean said that, quote, there was no doubt Marvin wanted to die, end quote, and that her brother, quote, couldn't take any more, end quote. That is so depressing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The poor guy. Um, I know. I know. So then in the days prior to his death, Marvin's parents were arguing over a misplaced insurance policy letter. The day before his death, the argument spread to his bedroom. He was angry that his father was being so terrible to his mom, so he told him to leave her alone, which his father did, didn't put up a fight. There was no violence that night, but Marvin Sr. continued to just yell throughout the house, which makes me think of that headline, Old Man Yells at Cloud. Okay, <laughs> except this is a little darker than that. Yeah, except, yeah, but I need, I need to lighten the mood somehow. I need to, like, because this one's, this one's a tough, tough one. Um... So then on April 1st, 1984, the day before his 45th birthday at about 1230 p.m., Marvin got into an altercation with his dad. Um, His father had again begun yelling about the insurance documents to his wife when Marvin shouted back downstairs to his dad that if he had something to say, he should do it in person. So according to Alberta, Marvin's mother, when Marvin Sr. refused his son's request. Marvin warned him not to come into his room, which is where Alberta was. Mm -hmm. But Marvin Sr. instead charged upstairs to the bedroom and verbally attacked Alberta over the document, which caused Marvin to jump out of his bed and once again order his dad to leave the room. Mm -hmm. His father and he then, quote, became involved in a verbal dispute that led to a physical altercation, pushing and shoving, quote, and end quote, according to Lieutenant Bob Martin of the Los Angeles Police Department. The fight turned physical when, as Alberta said in a 1985 Ebony Magazine article, that her son pushed and kicked his father. Mm -hmm. Jean later recalled that it was understood in the family that if one of the children ever dared to strike their father, that he would, quote, murder him or her, end quote. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, She said her father, quote, made it very clear, end quote, and, quote, said so publicly on more than one occasion, end quote. Ugh. 
So after Alberta separated both of the Marvins, Marvin Sr. went and got the pistol his son had given him for Christmas and at 12.38 p.m. shot his son once in the chest, followed by a second gunshot that was reportedly fired at a point-blank range. Um, do you, Alberta, hmm? Do you think that that could have been, um, like, he, he forced that? Like I think he that knew- you should shut your mouth. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I think that you should tag your spoilers. Okay. Um. So Alberta later explained to the police, quote, I was standing about eight feet away from Marvin when my husband came to the door of the bedroom with his pistol. My husband didn't say anything. He just pointed the gun at Marvin. I screamed, but it was very quick. He, my husband, shot and Marvin screamed. I tried to run. Marvin slid down to the floor after the first shot. The first shot, which proved to be fatal or end quote, the first shot, which proved to be fatal entered the right side of Marvin's chest, perforating his right lung, heart, diaphragm, liver, stomach, and left kidney before coming to rest rest against his left flank. Wow. Yeah. Um, According to reports, after shooting another, like shooting him point blank a second time, Marvin's father then hid the gun under his pillow in his bedroom. Great hiding spot. Yep. And in the meantime... Marvin's brother Frankie and Marvin's sister-in-law Irene heard shots from the guest house that they lived in on the property. After the first shot, Frankie initially thought it was like a car backfiring. Mm-hmm. However, then they heard screams from outside and rushed out and saw Alberta, who ran into Irene's arms, shouting, quote, he shot Marvin, he's killed my boy, end quote. Mm. Frankie ran into the house and carefully walked into the hallway that led to his brother's room because he didn't know if Marvin Sr. was still there, if he had the gun, if, like, if his brother was dead. Yeah. Um. So, very carefully, he walked into Marvin's bedroom and an emotional Frankie held his brother as he bled rapidly. Mm. According to Frankie, Marvin could barely speak above a whisper and told him, quote, I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it myself, so I had him do it. It's good. I ran my race. There's no more left in me, end quote. And it is believed by all of Marvin's siblings that his death was a, quote, premeditated suicide. Yeah. Gene later said that upon forcing his father's hand in the murder, that he had, quote, accomplished three things. He put himself out of his misery. He brought relief to his mother by finally getting her husband out of her life. And he punished father by making certain that the rest of his life would be miserable. My brother knew just what he was doing, end quote. Yeah. The police arrived 20 minutes after the shooting, at which point Irene went to Marvin Sr. in his bedroom and asked him where the gun was, which I'm like, what a brave woman. Yeah, right. Like, walks in and is like, okay, give it. <laughs> yeah, right? That's terrifying. <laughs> like, you do that with, like, when your kid sneaks a cookie. You don't do that with your mentally unstable father-in-law who has a gun and just shot your brother-in-law to death. Yeah. But no, so she's like, where's the gun? He wouldn't tell her, so she searched his bedroom, found the gun under his pillow, and upon exiting the house, Irene dropped the gun on the lawn. Immediately after this, Marvin Sr., who had by now taken a seat on the front porch outside the house, was arrested. Mm -hmm. Um, At 1.01 p.m. on April 1st, 1984, Marvin Gaye arrived at California Hospital Medical Center and was pronounced dead on arrival. Mm Mm-hmm. So during an interview with the police, Marvin's father contended that he was scared that something would happen to him and that he only meant to shoot in self-defense, stating he did not know the gun had any bullets in it, 
claiming okay. he thought were there there were either quote blanks or BBs end quote. Uh huh. So first you think that there's no g- bullets in the pistol. Yeah. Then you think that well maybe there were blanks, maybe there were BBs. Also, only meant to shoot him in self defense. Yet he shot him, clearly killed him, and then went and shot him point blank a second time. Yeah. Yep. Something doesn't add up. Yeah. So then, in the interview, um, at one point, the police asked Marvin Sr. if he loved his son. And reportedly, he quietly said, quote, let's say I didn't dislike him, end quote. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, upon being told that his son had died from the gunshots, Marvin Sr. reportedly sobbed after realizing he had killed him. And afterwards, he was held on bond. Mm-hmm. So the murder became a huge event in pop culture. Uh, news stations reported on Marvin's death almost immediately after it was announced, with one of the most prominent announcements coming from, like, CBS anchor Dan Rather, who was, like, huge. My parents loved him. Yeah, I recognize um, his name. Yep. So then the New York Times also ran the story in its front page the day after Marvin's murder. And immediately after his death, hordes of his fans stood outside his parents' house and held vigils there, placing memorabilia and other items on the lawn until his birthday the following day. Mm, Yeah, that's right. His birthday was... He would have been 45 the next day. Yeah. So initial reactions to Marvin's death were shock on the part of many of his peers. Otis Williams of the Motown group The Temptations recalled receiving the news while touring with the Four Tops in Australia. Mm-hmm. And said, quote, it was a very dark day that I will never forget as the day I lost a friend, end quote. Mm-hmm. Smokey Robinson heard the news of Marvin's death on the radio, feeling that his, quote, innards wouldn't accept, end quote, the news and thinking it must be a hoax. Mm-hmm. He called Marvin's ex-wife, Anna, to find out whether it was true. And she confirmed it before he even had the chance to ask her. Wow. Which left him in a state of shock. Yeah. His And then longtime Marvin Gaye admirer and former nephew-in-law Jermaine Jackson, who was Michael Jackson's brother, yep. recalled sobbing uncontrollably when he heard the news and called Barry White to confirm the story. And according to White, Marvin had agreed to do a series of duets with him, which was wow. partially why he was so upset. Yeah. And then Renoma Singleton, who was Barry Gordy's ex-wife, received the news from Anna over the phone. Um... Anna's son, Marvin III, was hanging out with Raynoma's son. Uh-huh. And upon the arrival of her son and Marvin III, Raynoma told Marvin III to go upstairs and talk to his mother, who then broke the news to the 17-year-old. Wow, 17. 17. The same age that his father, like, went and changed his life. Yeah. And this would go and change his in a yeah. completely different way. Wow. Um, and Barry Gordy, who was overcome with emotion and grief over Marvin's death, took out full page ads following his funeral, declaring that Gay was, quote, the greatest of all time, end quote, and the best recording artist he ever worked with. Mm. So then on April 5th, 1984, Marvin was given a burial plot at Forest Lawn Cemetery in California. At the open casket funeral, Marvin was wearing one of his costumes from his final concert tour, a gold and white military-style uniform with an ermine wrap at his shoulders, and there were over 10,000 mourners in attendance. 
Um, this included his Motown colleagues, his two ex-wives, Anna and Janice, mm-hmm. his siblings, his mother, and his three children. Mm. Smokey Robinson and Dick Gregory delivered the eulogies, while Stevie Wonder performed Lighting Up the Candles, which was later placed on his soundtrack to the film Jungle Fever. Mm-hmm. Marvin was later cremated, and his ashes were spread around the Pacific Ocean by Anna and Marvin's three children, with a small portion being kept by Anna and Marvin III. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, Marvin Sr. was held on bond um, at the Los Angeles County Jail, like I had said before, and it was $100,000 for his bail. His account of what happened was printed in the Los Angeles Herald Examiner with a quote from him, quote, I didn't mean to do it, end quote. Mm-hmm. Don't really know how you don't mean to pull a trigger. Go get a gun and bring it back and pull a trigger and shoot your son not once but twice. But wait, I have one more question. So Go ahead. you you had said that uh, Marvin Jr. had bought the gun for Marvin Sr. as a gift, right? Yes. Because so, his dad was worried about intruders. I don't know. Do you think he had like this kind of planned out from that time of it, like. It's he very was, possible. He in, yeah, he was depressed. He was at the depressed. Time. He was about that same time. He wanted to commit suicide. He talked about committing suicide. He attempted to commit suicide. Yeah. So, do you think he set this up from that time to be like, I can kill three birds with one stone? I think and- it's very believable, especially with how crazy—not crazy—that's not the right word—but how unstable he was, how paranoid he was. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Um, I also think that just because that was what he wanted and how he planned it did not mean, though, that his dad had to go through with it. I don't think that exonerates his father. No, I'm not saying that <gasps> okay. he's not guilty. I'm saying that, like, for to get a gun as a gift for the person who said that if you so much as uh, challenge me <laughs> in yeah, any way, physically, yes. then I will murder you. like Or your siblings or your mother. Like, nobody yeah. is supposed to. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So he kind of knew he had an out in that way. He's like, I would have loved to have been present on that Christmas because I'm sure his siblings were all like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's a fucked <laughs> Think up. Think about that for one minute. Like, it's a fucked up present. Come on, Marvin. Don't ruin Christmas. Yeah, right? <sighs> God. Anyway, that was just the question I had because immediately I was you said that like he had bought the gun for his father. I was like, what? Yep. Yep. I know. I know. Well, and not just that, but that was ironic to me. And then also, let's not forget when he was on that tour and he, like after he was in Belgium and he was so convinced that somebody was going to shoot him, he wore a bulletproof vest at all times. Yeah. And what ends up happening? Exactly. But yeah. So on June 12th, After reviewing a two-page report that included two psychiatric evaluations conducted by Dr. Ronald Markman, Judge Michael Piroche ruled that Marvin Sr. was competent to stand trial. Um, Marvin Sr. was also ruled competent because a benign brain tumor had been found during his full-body examination when he was brought to jail, Mm. and it was removed about a month before um, Judge Piroche ruled that he was competent to stand trial. He ended up being fine. Oh, okay. Um, so Marvin Sr. appeared in court again on June 20th, where he was ordered to return on July 16th for a preliminary hearing. His estranged wife, Alberta, posted the reduced bail of $30,000 via a bondsman to secure her ex-husband, soon-to-be ex-husband's release from jail. 
Uh, two days prior, she had actually filed for divorce and citing that she had officially separated from him immediately after he murdered their son. Yeah. Um. So basically, the moment he killed her son, their marriage was done. Exactly. Yeah. Rhyme that, not intended. I, I could. I could see that. Yeah. So looking over the documents, the amount of drugs in Gay's system, he had cocaine, and at first they thought there were traces of PCP, which induce violent behavior but then it was found that there wasn't really any pcp in his system it was like residual okay um looking over that the pictures of marvin senior's injuries during his final fight with his son judge ronald m george agreed to grant marvin senior a plea bargain and as a result marvin senior pleaded no contest to a voluntary manslaughter charge on september 20th 1984 and on November 2nd, 1984, Judge Gordon Ringer sentenced Marvin Sr. to a six-year suspended sentence and five years of probation. During the sentence hearing, Marvin Sr. tearfully told the court, quote, If I could bring him back, I would. I was afraid of him. I thought I was going to get hurt. I didn't know mm. what was going to happen. I'm really sorry for everything that happened. I loved him. I wish he would step through this door right now. I'm paying the price now, end quote. Mm-hmm. I think one of those sentences is through is true. Yeah. And that would be the last one. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Marvin Gay Sr. ultimately died of pneumonia on October 25th, 1998, at the age of 84, in his retirement home in Long Beach, California. Hmm. And from what I read, it appears that he died alone. Alright. Which good. Yeah. That's Sucks. What you get. Yeah. Um But so, yeah, so getting more into the pop culture side of it, um, Duran Duran dedicated their hit ballad Save a Prayer to Marvin the afternoon after his murder. So on Marvin's birthday during a performance in Oakland, California, Uh, this performance was actually taped and later released on their video arena. Mm -hmm. Marvin was featured on the cover of Rolling Stone for what was a third time in a posthumous cover in its May 10th, 1984 issue. Mm -hmm. The issue discussed marvin's personal life his music and his contributions to motown and pop music Mm -hmm. multiple songs were written about marvin and his death one of the most notable was his friend diana ross's tribute song missing you which she released in november 1984 Mm -hmm. it was included on her album swept away and later peaked at number one on the hot black singles chart and Mm. number and reached number 10 on the billboard hot 100 oh wow yeah Later, a video of the song featured classic footage of get, of Martin um, performing, and this included him appearing at Diana's 1982 concert in Brussels. Marvin. That's what I said. You said Martin. Fuck. <laughs> All right. I don't even know where that comes from. I don't even know where that came from. Okay. Marvin. Marvin. Um, he, went, he appeared at her 1982 concert in Brussels. And the following January, while hosting the American Music Awards, Ross led an in-memoriam tribute to stars who died in 1984, with Marvin leading the tribute. Mm -hmm. So since 1985, there have been annual Marvin Gaye Day celebrations in his hometown of Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Yep. The day was first officiated by then-Mayor Marion Barry on what would have been Marvin's 46th birthday. Since then, a nonprofit organization has helped to organize Marvin Gaye Day celebrations in the city. In 1986, Marvin's mother, Alberta, founded the Marvin P. Gay Jr. Memorial Foundation, which is dedicated to those suffering from drug abuse and alcoholism. 
Mm -hmm. It opened a day after she died from complications of bone cancer in May 1987. Yeah. That's terrible. Yep. That same year, Marvin was posthumously inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame alongside colleagues and fellow Motown performers Bo Diddley and Smokey Robinson, among others. Mm -hmm. In 1990, after years of petitions and letters, Marvin was given a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, Also, this was partially due to one of the most prominent petitioners consistently writing letters, and that would be longtime fan Eddie Murphy. Oh, wow. Yep. Six years later, in 1996, Marvin posthumously received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm -hmm. And in 2006, an old park that he would frequent as a teenager, uh, formerly known as Watts Branch Park, was renamed Marvin Gaye Park in his honor. Three years later, in 2009, the 5200 block of Foot Street Northeast in Deanwood, Washington, D.C., was renamed Marvin Gaye Way. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it gets it, better. There's so it much. Reminds me, it reminds me of... Um, Selena? And Biggie. And Biggie. Because, yeah, because Biggie, Biggie yes. has like a like a day dedicated to him yep. and like got a, his street named after him. So I'll, there's a lot of uh, parallels in that way. Yeah, it's it's so crazy because I was thinking about that and I was thinking about Selena. Like Selena, there was a lot of it where I was like, oh my God, they did that for her and they did that for her and yeah. they did that for her. And it's just, it's crazy how much this type of thing can affect people and can affect change like that. Yeah. Um, and speaking of affecting change, Motown and Columbia went on to collaborate to produce two albums based on Marvin's unfinished recordings. Motown also issued a series of deluxe releases of Marvin's earlier material in 2001. One track, Where Are We Going?, created a great deal of interest, being called the greatest release of Marvin since his murder over 15 years earlier. Furthermore, his 1983 NBA All-Star performance of the National Anthem was used in a Nike commercial featuring the 2008 U.S. Olympic basketball team. Mm. Um, This same performance was actually the first video that VH1 aired when it launched in i believe 1983 oh wow yes and i say that because vh1 went on to list marvin's murder as the eighth most shocking moment in rock and roll yeah Mm-hmm. then in 2016 marvin's family granted jamie fox the rights to develop a limited series about the singer but the project has not yet moved forward okay And in June 2018, it was announced that Dr. Dre is developing a movie about Marvin, making a deal with Sony ATV Music Publishing to secure the rights to his music. However, because the movie needs Barry Gordy's approval in order to be made, people aren't too confident the movie's going to happen. Okay. uh, Others who have attempted to make a film about Marvin Gaye are Cameron Crowe, James Gandolfini, F. Gary Gray, and Scott Rudin. Uh, Why can't they get the approval for it? Because Barry Gordy's like, nah, fam. Really? Yeah. But he loved oh, you'll him find so much. out why. You'll find oh. out why. You'll find out why. It'll okay. all make sense in but a moment. Oh, God. Um, one particularly tumultuous project called Sexual Healing was directed by Julian Temple. And first, ha- all right, so first it was going to star Jesse L. Martin, which everybody knows from Rent. Yeah. He was Angel's lover. And Law and Order. And Law and Order, yes. Um, so then Jesse L. Martin left. Lenny Kravitz then came in, which I would have loved to see. Wow. Um, But then Lenny Kravitz dropped out in 2013 and Martin was tapped again for the starring role and then things appear to have stopped. (laughs) Okay. Um, So while a biopic about Marvin probably won't be in the works for a while, he was featured in two movies of his own. 
The first was the 1969 movie, The Ballad of Andy Crocker, which was about Mm -hmm. a Vietnam veteran returning home and feeling betrayal when he finds that his expectations have not been met. Uh In addition to starring Marvin, it starred Lee Majors and was produced by Aaron Spelling. Oh, wow. Yeah. The movie doesn't have any ratings on Rotten Tomatoes or Google, but it does have a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Mm -hmm. And the second movie is the 1971 Chrome and Hot Leather, which is about a group of Vietnam veterans, one of which is played by Marvin, taking on a biker gang. Well. Yes. I want to see it. Yeah. So, like The Ballad of Andy Crocker, this movie is also about Vietnam and doesn't have a Google score, but it does have a 32% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Mm -hmm. And both of these movies can be rented on Prime, and you can also watch Chrome and Hot Leather on Netflix. Oh, okay. There was also a documentary released about Marvin in 1987 titled Marvin Gaye, which features interviews with Marvin's family, Smokey Robinson, Barry Gordy, Bo Diddley, and Little Richard, among others. Wow. It has a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, Marvin was also featured as a character in Barry Gordy's Broadway musical, Motown the Musical which premiered oh. in April 2013 and is based on Gordy's 1994 autobiography, To Be Loved, The Music, The Magic, The Memories of Motown. Yeah. And in a quick skim of the songs in it, at least two of Marvin Gaye's songs, one of which was Heard It Through the Grapevine, is featured in this musical. Yeah, I remember that. Being are we Broadway. starting to remember, are we starting to understand why Barry Gordy isn't signing off on things? Yeah. Uh, The musical was nominated for four Tony Awards, which included Best Orchestrations and Best Sound Design of a Musical. And on November 20th, 2018, the United States Postal Service announced that Marvin Gaye would be featured on a first-class postage stamp as part of the Postal Service's Music Icon series. Wow. Yeah. And that's our boy, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, I know he had a very sad story, but... I didn't know exactly how, how bad sad. it was with his with his dad and everything. Right. Yeah, it's really Yeah, it's horrible. fucked up. Yeah. But damn. He, yeah. The pop culture section for him is long. And I abridged it very really? much. Really? Yes. Wow. I was like, I'm going to keep this to a minimum. <laughs> damn. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff inspired by his life and music and everything. Yeah. Definitely. That's and, really cool. Yeah, it is. And hopefully we'll get to see a dog, a, um, I don't know where dog came from, a documentary or a biopic or something, a dogumentary. Sure. Um, I don't know. Again, I don't know why a documentary or biopic or something about him in the near future, because I think that there is with Motown, the musical and all of this other stuff, there is continued interest and for some even renewed interest in the subject is the musical still on broadway i don't um it it ran from 2013 to 2015 and then it came back for a limited time in 2016 but there are like national tours and things like that oh okay yeah yeah because i I mean i don't think he's going to be done with the music by the time like that show is done because like he'll probably he'll probably still want to make music on yeah everything like he'll still want to make money on the music so i don't know if he'd license it to anybody but 
Yeah. yeah. I would I would watch a biopic on him. He I would had too. a very interesting life. He did. And I mean, it would be interesting to so Denise Gordy went on to marry Richard Lawson, the actor. Uh-huh. And in addition to being the biological mother of Marvin Gaye III, she's the biological mother of Bianca Lawson, who people know from Pretty Little Liars. Um, oh. Among other people. You know who I mean. She, like, dated the yeah. character Emily, and, like, she's actually 40, but she looks perpetually like a teenager. Yes. Um, so it would be interesting to see her in that in some way as well. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. That's it for this week. That's it for this week. It's a heavy one. <laughs> it is, yeah. Welcome Starting back. off the year right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, next week is going to be, like, if it's the one that I'm working on right now, it's going to be, like, a weird one. So Oh, good. I need a weird be one exciting. after this. This was depressing. Yeah. Don't worry. There'll be much more depressing uh, episodes coming this year. And also Yay! a lot of weird ones. I so, like weird I could go um, without too much depressing depressing stuff. We'll see. Yeah, probably not. You can get more information on our website, which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. And you can also find all the links to our social media there. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and also on Patreon. And uh, there's a link on the website, but if you can't find the link, uh, I think we also have a, a link tree which you can get on any of our social media profiles. But if you can't find it, then you can just message us on any of the social media and we will send it to you. But um, you can donate to our Patreon for a dollar or more and it helps to keep the podcast going and keep us going. Yeah, Financing and shit. Yeah, you know. Keeping Mo happy, make our sacrifices. Yes. I will post a video of him pretty soon because he's been very cute lately. Mm. My cats were cute for a minute and then I took them to the vet and they were mad at me. So they're not being too cute anymore. No. But yeah. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. You are so cute. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you next Tuesday. Woohoo! Bye! Bye!